Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing a person that I've met a few times, but we're just developing a friendship. His name is Ben LaPlace. He's a co-vocational pastor in a church in a place called Greer, South Carolina. I've never been there. I've never heard of it. Uh, but I like Ben, and I like what he's doing, and I like his life message, and that's what we're here to talk about today. So, Ben, just kind of introduce yourself, introduce the church, uh, tell us how long you've been there, and give us a little bit of history because it's your second church that you've planted, and you know, you know, just kind of you know give us the elevator speech. Yeah, so um, my name is Ben LaPlace, and uh, I live, I have the privilege to live in the upstate of South Carolina. Um, in a town called Greer, South Carolina, which is just outside of Greenville, South Carolina. And Greenville is one of the largest uh, or one of the fastest growing cities actually in the U.S. And uh, just an incredible place. I said I absolutely love, by far my favorite place that I've ever lived. And this is the second church that you planted? That's correct. Tell us about the first one. So we um, we moved to Aiken, South Carolina in the fall of 2009. Uh, parachute drop just out of nowhere. Um, it was actually a terrible idea. Uh, I'm from the north, so I grew up in southern Michigan, and I was picking up my wife and my two boys, who at the time were three and a half and uh, 11 months old, and we were moving 13 hours south to the south, and to plant in a community we had no relationships uh we had no no anything uh literally just a parachute drop um just a prayer and a, a call and a conviction that that was the place the lord wanted us and uh we through by the grace of god were able to uh kind of dig out a really beautiful uh i think a really beautiful expression of the kingdom there uh, a different set of values than probably a lot of faith communities that existed in that town. And uh, a, just an incredible community of people there. Unpack that a little bit, what you just said about a different set of values than the other faith communities. Yeah, so um, Aiken is a stereotypical kind of Southern community. So there's there's multiple different cultures there, which are is really fascinating. You have the old money, southern horse community um so steeplechase winners and kentucky bluegrass people winter there and they've been doing that for a really really long time uh, then you have the the folks that are there because of the savannah river site which is a nuclear plant that's just south of aiken that's a very transient community um kind of there for a few years as far as the contract lasts and then they move on and then you have the 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 unseen and forgotten segment of the community that uh, really is kind of the lower, mid to low class, maybe. Um, so it's a very divided community in many ways, uh, but it's very beautiful. And a lot of the, the churches that are there are, you know, this is the South. So religion is still very much a part of the culture. If you are a 
uh, and a favorable upright citizen, then you are a Christian by default and you have a church, uh, regardless of whether you've been to it in the last three years or not. And uh, many people there still define success, even the churches define success by how many people they can gather at a particular point in time. And we were really uh, uh, interested in what we called uh, the unchurched and the dechurched, the people that were disenfranchised with that kind of a model and who were genuinely looking for a, a life-changing relationship with Jesus that had a real impact on our everyday life. So we uh, went in with very much discipleship at the core of who we were and, um, and real life stuff. So we weren't trying to build something or um, you know, make something big. Uh, we were really trying to have something of substance. So that makes it easy in one way and more difficult in another way. Easy in that you get to really make disciples and and everything in terms of their context has to do with what you've brought them from the scriptures. There's a purity in that. On the other hand, uh, a little slower financially, and you chose to be co-vocational. I know that you had denominational support going in, but uh, you know, talk to us a little bit about why you chose that. And in the struggle that you went through as a young person, because you were training to do the thing that you're doing now, uh, co-vocationally. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so um, when we were there, we uh, very much went into Aiken with kind of a house church model and mindset. We did not want to get into a facility that had overhead. We wanted to keep all that to a minimum so that we could stay really limber and nimble financially and really uh, uh, invest those resources in the places that um, that we felt like were, were more important than maybe paying a mortgage. Um, and yet in the culture, what we discovered is that we had a really hard time with traction on that end. And we ended up you know, needing to be in a space, even though we chose um, we chose a space that was usable seven days a week, not just one day a week. Um, we found ourselves in a place where we had a bit more overhead than what we wanted. And so the resources that we did, did have ended up having to go towards uh, more operational expenses of the church rather than salary. So uh, I began to edge in and look at opportunities um, to connect into the community as well as pro uh, provide for my family. And one of the things that I've always done on the side is graphic design. So uh, like you alluded to, when I was in high school is when I felt uh, the Lord asking me to give my life to his church. And at the time, I was uh, preparing to go into the graphic design field. I was in a um, vocational school my junior and senior year of high school, studying design uh, for half of my day uh, and on that career track. And when I felt the Lord asking me to give my life to, to his church, I really felt conflicted because I, I was good at design and I really loved it. There was so many pieces of who I was that was connected into that world and I felt like the Lord was uh, had me in this place where I was having to choose between these two things that I loved. And uh, that was really difficult for a long time. Um, and what I now realize in hindsight is the Lord was never asking me to choose between the two. He actually had unique, uniquely crafted me for the path that he wanted me to walk down. So I've always done a little bit kind of moonlighted on the side with design to help in places. But when we were in Aiken, that was when I really kind of stepped in and the Lord began opening some doors in uh, the design field from a vocational standpoint. And so I came on board with a marketing and print firm there 
And um, it really, that was when a lot of our relational connections in the community started opening up. And uh, I think is a beautiful part of the story because I was able to, uh, I was able to interface with people in the community, not as a pastor first, but just as a designer or as a marketing specialist, you know, and I was able to really build a lot of that relational credibility um, that's necessary because man, in this world, especially if you lead with the pastor card, everything changes <laughs> right immediately. And so I was able to develop these relationships for years in some cases uh, with individuals where I was, I, I was still seeing myself as pastoring them, even though they just saw me as a marketing specialist or a graphic designer. And so it really became a gift um, to me personally. Uh, and, I, and I think by default also to the body. So you get that ability to go in doing whatever you're doing, co-vocationally, whoever you are. And you see yourself as a pastor shepherding these people toward Jesus. They see you as a friend. They, they see you as somebody who um, they're, they're paying you to do a service. But you're that nice guy that uh, is interested in them. You care about them. And I, I see this as a real benefit. When you now have come to where you are, you've chosen again to do this, and you, and you came in choosing. You, you, went, you didn't back into it. Um, tell us why you made that decision and what benefit you've gotten out of it. I mean, you've been in five years now. A lot of people would be going, it's time I shed the job. There's, that's not even a thought for you. Explain that to us. Yeah, so um, it's it's really interesting the way that I wound up with the company that I work for now, um, which was a byproduct of some of the relationships that I actually developed while I was in Aiken. And it's funny, my the headquarters for this particular company is actually in Aiken, uh, and they didn't hire me until I, uh, a few years after I moved north up here to the upstate, uh, two and a half hours away. And so... Um, we really have felt like the Lord has opened a door here in, in this vocation to really make uh, ministry possible. So it's been through the provision that God has brought through this particular job that really has made our life here possible. It's, it's why we are in the place that we're in. It's why my boys are able to, to do the things that my boys are able to do. And out of that has really come a rootedness uh, a rootedness in this community um, that really I'm just so grateful for. Like, I, I don't know, some days there's certainly challenges to it. I mean, I don't want to make it seem like it's just a bed of roses all the time. I mean, there is a definitely a set of challenges to it. Um, and the particular role that I'm in now has, it started at 10 hours a week, uh, four years ago when I came on with the company and that was easy to manage. And now I'm up and they're continually trying to bring me on full time to work for them. And I'm kind of in this continual dance of how do I uh, continue to lean into the opportunity that the Lord has opened in that door while also remembering that the Lord has called us here for ministry. And so how do we, you know, bridge those two things and make sure that we're being faithful to both of those things and really not seeing them as dislo like dislocated. I don't want to make it sound that way because I truly believe that, the vocation, the marketplace ministry is, is as vital really as the ministry within the context of the body, um, a more traditional ministry maybe that we're used to there. 
Um, but yeah, it's just, it's been a gift in so many different ways to us and um, has really created opportunities, not only for the life that we have, but really to step into the ministry that God has called us to now. So this time when we're planting the church here, we were able to go to the denomination and essentially say, listen, we don't need any support. We're not looking for any resources. We don't need any money. We just are letting you know this is happening and we would love to receive your blessing if you would be so gracious as to extend that to us, you know, which is beautiful. That's wonderful. That, uh, that, that speaks to several things to, in, in my mind. One is I'm assuming that uh, a lot of the people now who are involved in, in your fellowship are people that uh, you had some sort of contact with because of being co-vocational. Is that true? Um, some of it is, some of it is, and some of it is not. I'm in a bit of a unique situation here with this particular co-vocational situation because I work remotely. Uh, so the company that I work for actually has offices all throughout North America yeah. and Europe and, and even Sing- Singapore and uh, the UK. So um, I don't actually have a physical office that I go into every single day. Um, I I have a lot more teleworking uh, mm-hmm. Zoom calls, you know, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the side door of that is I try to be very intentional about the places that I telework from. So although there's times where I work, the majority of my time is spent working out of my home. I also try to intentionally inhabit several different locations in the city where I'm in the same space as some other people who are working remotely, developing those relational connections. So we're seeing some fresh fruit kind of coming up out of that. My wife is also um, co-vocational. She uh, is in a lot of ways is a co-pastor with me, although she would consider herself just a worship pastor. She does much more than just that piece, Um, but she also is co-vocational. So um, we have seen a lot of fruit come out of relationships that she's been developing and that's slow work, right? So like we're almost five years into it. And we're just seeing some 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 fresh sprigs come out of seeds that we've planted for four years ago, you know. So so being co-vocational gives you that time that you can you can develop those relationships. What kind of places are you choosing to work in when you're not at home? Is it coffee shops? Where do you go? Where do you go? Yeah, so there's um three main coffee shops that I try to go to. Um, one that's, uh, it's called Barista Alley, little shout out to them. They're just right in downtown Greer. It's the hip, cool place for everybody to hang out. Um, a lot of pastors hang out there. So I don't spend quite as much time there as I do a couple of the other places. Um, and I also try to go over to, um, there is a Starbucks here. I'm not a massive fan of theirs. This podcast I'm sure is not sponsored by them, but, uh, you know, I do try to show up there because there's a different group of people there. And then one other coffee shop that's kind of over tucked in a little different neighborhood. And um, that one is one I try to show up to also. So to me, the, there's a relational aspect to, to being Kobo. Uh, there's the financial aspect. You're doing quite well financially. And that's a, a wonderful thing. That takes pressure off the church, being forced to, to raise a crowd in a hurry. But then the other issue that I think is a really a, a positive and I'd, I'd like for you to respond to this is I think it's a positive when you're forced to delegate because most of the pastors that I see who aren't showing a lot of growth 
I can bring it down to that there's control issues, there's trust issues, there, you know, I, I've always tried to be that if I see somebody who has anybody in the world following them, I first assume they're a leader. And I go, now, how can I bring this guy under the umbrella of what we're doing? And what can I do to equip him and release him? But uh, a lot of people want to equip forever and never release. And, you know, I've seen a couple of things online where, where guys who are, are writing about, you know, the horrors of being co-vocational or bivocational because it just can't be done and putting all these hours into the marketplace and it's just killing the church and it's killing my family. And, and, and right between the lines, it's like, you're a high control idiot and you don't know how to let go of anything or let go of people. Um, address that, that aspect of what you're doing because you have to be a good delegator or you wouldn't be surviving right now. And I think that's wonderful. Yeah, so I'm probably that high control idiot, um, or maybe I'm the recovering high control idiot. I considered myself a delegator. I mean, Ephesians 4 is like a huge thing for me. It's like the bedrock of my understanding of church. And yet, even in my desire to release, I had these pieces of control that I really wasn't wanting to let go of. And I remember having a conversation with a, a friend and a mentor of mine. He looked at me and he said, man, Ben, I think I think you need to like, uh, I think you need to drop your expectations. I think your expectations are too high. And I hated it. Like I was, I was mad that he said that to me, but I, I began to realize that in the same way that like, if I don't give my boys an opportunity to, to bang their thumb with a hammer when they're learning to drive a nail, if I'm constantly just grabbing that hammer from them and driving that nail for them because I feel like they don't know how to do it the way that this really should be done, then they will, number one, never be able to do it the way that I think that, that it should be done. Or the beauty that I'm beginning to discover in this season of my life is they will never be able to imagine the way of doing it that I can't even think of. Yeah. I will keep them from discovering that because I'm unwilling to give grace for them to make the same mistakes and other mistakes that I've made over the years as I've learned it. So yes, absolutely. The season that we're in right now is one where we must delegate and co-vocation forces you into that place, which I think is quite beautiful. It's, um, it's also terrible. Like it's really hard, especially for people like me who, uh, who care deeply about not even, I'd like to think that it's not controlled, maybe it is, but who have a high value for the the church and how we embody Jesus in the kingdom in our community, but beginning to realize that man maybe maybe the way that we increase the value in how we embody is by taking our hands off and releasing even more and man co-location puts you right in that spot where you've got to deal with that tension and uh and walk through that tension and it's it's ever evolving right as the church grows and as new opportunities come so you know we all learn to walk by falling down and if you, if the person doesn't get the opportunity to fall down they never will learn to walk and, and all that but i i think that uh the world is changing and uh you know we we've come pretty much now out of the the first wave of the covid deal and that's kind of over who knows what the future holds. But I, I do know this, that people who resisted uh, breaking up into micro churches within their church have been forced to do that 
online. So that's been a good thing. Yep. Uh, we know that about 70% of the people in the United States, you can't even call them post-Christian. You have to call them now pre-Christian because they have no Christian influence in their life. It's like going into a culture that never heard the gospel. So you got this bifurcated country where about 30% of the people are either Christian or kind of pre-Christian uh, in that they have some, uh, I mean, post-Christian, that they have some overhang of Christianity in their life that you and I can build on. But, yeah. the, but the major majority, uh, we're going to have to find all new ways of reaching them. And when they come to us, they're going to be rough and, and, and dirty around the edges, and we got to take them as they are. And, and, and you're doing that. So yeah. um, just give me some, go ahead. You got some last thoughts on this. Yeah. So, uh, man, that resonates what you're saying. And I, those are the people that I love. Even though I grew up in the church, I've always felt at home outside of the church. Like I feel, I always feel like, I don't know, just feel like a fish out of water when I find myself in church things. And I know how to function in that world. And, and so I do. Uh, but man, those, those are the people that really get my heart stirring. And I'm 100% with you. And here in the place in the country that I live, um, we, we sort of live with a false positive in some regards right now. Um, but even in Greenville, where which is one of the fastest growing cities in South Carolina in general, which had 85% of the growth, population growth, was non-native growth. So you have a Southern culture that is like the layer, right? And is creating sort of what we feel on the surface of things. And we assume that it still is the that culture of, you know, if you're a, a high upstanding citizen, then you love Jesus and you go to church, like I said earlier, even if you've never been there in years. But I'm convinced, and these are the people that we're really engaging with, there's a whole segment of the population here that is that, that what you're talking about, that pre post-Christian, whatever we want to put a label on them, that are not abiding by the same rules that we think the society is actually built on. And those people are asking questions that our churches don't even know how to ask right now. And they're dealing with circumstances that, that our prevailing models of ministry are really not even geared towards addressing. Like we're still thinking that we can just put a sign on our billboard out front by the road and they'll feel welcome and walk in the door or even if that happens that if they show up to one of our Sunday morning gatherings that they're going to have this you know encounter with the presence of Jesus and be radically changed by our three-point message and we're we're trying to set a whole different set of of uh, what success looks like like what are the metrics that we're actually trying to engage with how are we going to define what it means to be the faithful followers of Jesus to embody the kingdom in this day and age. And in some places of our country, you know, they're already having these conversations where the culture has really evolved a lot more and there's faithful expressions in those places. But even here in the South, man, that's supposed to be the Bible belt. That is the reality that exists here, whether we recognize it or not. And I'm super excited about the opportunity to be a part of a community of people who care more about like, do you know your neighbor's name? And did you have a conversation with them yesterday or today? Like, are you bringing them to the Lord in our fasting and prayer rhythms that we are developing that are a core part of who we are? And are we celebrating those beautiful things, whether they gather into the places where we gather right now or not? That's not the definition of success. The definition of success for us is the ways in which 
the nuanced ways that you are embodying the gospel and the kingdom in the places that God has sent you. And how can we as the church come behind that and equip and empower and release. And man, it's, it's just fun. That's wonderful. That's really wonderful. You know, as we kind of wind this thing down, uh, I'm sure that there are people who would like to ask you a question or whatever. Uh, are, are there any, you know, links or, you know, I don't think you probably want to give out your email address, but is there a way that someone could con- connect with you if they chose to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can, I'm not on social media a ton. I am a bit more these days just because of the reality of our circumstances and it's the connectional opportunities that we have with the body. So you can find me on Instagram, just Ben LaPlace. Um, I'm on Facebook too, but that's probably not as great of a place to connect with me. Um, or you can uh, check out the church at um, villagechurchgreer.com. And uh, there's op- opportunities for you to connect in there. We're still working on ramping up some of those things, but that'd be the place to catch us. Good. Thank you for taking time to be with us. This is really good. Yeah, man. It's an honor to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmore.net.